six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth has never heard before. We're well, hey everyone, you're listening to a public affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Yuri and I'm hosting today's episode. Alan will be back next week. Uh, today we're talking with you about the war in Ukraine. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Uh, you can also tweet us at WORT Talk or reach out to A Public Affair on Facebook. And um, today I'm going to be your host and I'm going to be your guest. Actually, the guest hopefully will be you. So I'm uh, looking forward to answering your questions and uh, hearing your comments about what is going on in Ukraine. And perhaps Russia is also part of this unfortunate equation. Um, just a couple of words about me. I'm originally from Russia. I was born in Moscow, Russia. I've been in the United States for over 30 years. I came here as a child. Actually, I was 13. So I came with my parents. Uh, got education uh, at University of Utah first. I got my bachelor's degree in musical composition. How does that work? And uh, then I got my master's degree at UW-Whitewater in mass communication. And I host a Rashkin Report channel that is uh, specializing in doing interviews with inf Influence, uh, influencers um, in Russia and in uh, Ukraine and all over the world because Russian speakers now, most of the ones that dare to speak, they don't live in Russia anymore. So, um, and that led me to being invited to as, as a guest uh, commenter on all sorts of uh, Ukrainian TV and YouTube channels. So these days I hear sometimes once a day, sometimes more than that from different news outlets who want to understand a little bit better about American perspective on what is going on in Ukraine. Um, believe it or not, there's uh, a lot of disinformation. There's a lot of people who are trying to uh, spread uh, information that the United States is not really supporting Ukraine and that Ukraine should go and uh, handle Vladimir Putin uh, on its own, which means go and agree to whatever Vladimir Putin has to say. This is uh, obviously not, uh, you know, not correct. But uh, the information is out there and uh, I would very much like to hear from you and your thoughts and comments are because you know, as uh, I'm, I'd like to share with you what I know, and I'd like to take the information that you share with me back to um, the Ukrainian uh, news outlets. Um, and uh, it's it's very interesting because sometimes they will lose electricity in the middle of an interview, and sometimes uh, they have to leave the building and and you know just kind of roll with it because that's that's how war is. And there's also, at the same time, a tremendous amount of news that is breaking, like literally today, that has to do with uh, Russia and Ukraine. So, for instance, uh, one of the, uh, just today, uh, President Biden announced uh, that uh, WNBA star Brittany Griner was released through uh, prisoner exchange. Um, and she will be coming back to the United States, and that's really exciting news. Um, and uh, if you have thoughts on this, I'd love to hear from you. The number, of course, is 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, and um, the person that was uh, traded for uh, Brittany Griner was not, you know, it seems like when we talk about basketball, it seems like there's a trade, a basketball player for basketball player. But in this case, we have a basketball player for an arms dealer uh, because uh, Victor Boot, um, Victor Anatolievich Boot, is a Russian arms dealer, an entrepreneur, and former Soviet military translator. Uh, he used his multiple companies to smuggle weapons since the collapse of the Soviet Union from Eastern Europe to Africa and the Middle East during the 90s and early 2000s. Um, he has been arrested uh, in 2008 in Thailand on terrorism charges, um, and he's been uh, in uh, serving time here one way or another since 2011. Um, the matter of his uh, return and exchange was discussed uh, for a long time, and finally, uh, it seems like a compromise was reached that is acceptable both to uh, the, the administration and to Kremlin. And uh, it's of course, it's interesting and telling that uh, we are exchanging a, a person who is, uh, you know, accomplished athlete in exchange for an arms dealer. But those are the values, and those are uh, and that's something else that I wanted to kind of run. By. 
dear listeners of WORT, and, and get your thoughts on as well. So, Victor Boot, uh, in exchange for Brittany Griner. Now, there's other, uh, at least uh, two other people who are citizens of the United States who are still uh, in, like, in Russian jails at this time, uh, one of whom is Paul Boot. Um, and uh, they were not part of this particular trade. And uh, that brings us to really the other news, which is that the uh, United States appointed a new ambassador uh, to Russia, uh, who is uh, formerly ambassador to Armenia. Uh, now it's uh, Lynn Tracy. And uh, Lynn Tracy is a, uh, a scholar of Russia. And perhaps out there in the audience, we have somebody who knows uh, Lynn Tracy and would like to share her, you know, your perspective with us on her appointment. Um, I will say that from her remarks, uh, she is looking to for ways to um, really help support people of Russia, because uh, building relationship with Kremlin is not really, I don't think, objective right now, other than to perhaps avoid nuclear war. But um, the two issues, which is one, uh, getting uh, American citizens out of Russian jails and uh, really helping people of Russia uh, promote the relationship between America and the people of Russia. Those uh, appear to be two of uh, Lynn Tracy's objectives as the new ambassador. So those are, I think, are very interesting uh, topic. And, you know, what do you think about what should be our relationship uh, with Russia? Because uh, uh, European Union has just passed uh, uh, you know, decree uh, uh, announcing that Russia is now a state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, we here in the United States have not done this at this point. Now, there could be diplomatic reasons why this hasn't been done. What do you think? Should we uh, declare Russia to be a state sponsor of terrorism? And to what extent uh, these kinds of um, formulas are, are relevant, considering that um, what you know the, that we are helping Ukraine uh, defend itself, and um, to what extent those types of n names are, are relevant and important in order to get us uh, and all the allies to be able to help uh, Ukraine achieve its victory. So there's at least uh, two um, uh, bits of information that I think are um, important and relevant to our conversation. Um, what has been happening in Ukraine is I think uh, many of you have been following uh, right on your television sets or your uh, smartphones uh, because we do have a lot of information available and we see that um, while the Russian army is not able to uh, destroy and, and uh, show its might, supposed might, on the battlefield. The joke goes that uh, formerly known as the second biggest, strongest army in the world, Russia is now the second strongest army in Ukraine. Um, so they're, they're not doing so well, um, but they're still, um, you know, when, when people refer to Russian army as a, as a meat grinder and cannon fodder, uh, it's almost literally true because uh, the number of losses that Russia has sustained has always been great in all wars. Um, those that are interested in history may recall that in World War II, Russia lost millions and millions of people. Uh, but when we look at how they're fighting, it, it seems uh, uh, easy to imagine how um, misuse, what we consider to be very valuable resource and how it is not considered valuable resource in, in Russia. And that's actually one of the things that I think is very important to point out. Um, that when we hear about um, the democracies and autocracies, um, one of the features of it's not just whether we elect our leaders, it's also about what I call virtue of um, ethics of virtue versus ethics of strength. And uh, what I mean by that is that um, we in the West tend to follow a set of uh, principles, ethical principles, that uh, perhaps incorporate Immanuel Kant and his uh, categorical imperative, where we do not want to do to others things that we don't want done to us. We want to do the right thing. We measure people by whether they're able to, trying to, successful at doing the right thing. Uh, on the other hand, uh, a different system of uh, values would say that you can do whatever you are strong enough to do. If you are strong enough to do it, 
Well, then you can. Then you decide if you want to do it or not. And if you are not able to do it, then it's just not an option. And that is something that uh, I think is very helpful in kind of opening the, the can here and seeing um, what what feeds this kind of uh, um, imperial um, as is often referred to, a uh, Russian attempt at expansion of its uh, empire. Um, we can talk about the, the historical narrative, uh, but I find it interesting that it really depends on who you talk to. If you speak to Russians or if you speak to people from Ukraine or if you speak to Americans, frankly, because uh, there's three distinctly different um, perspectives from Russian point of view, uh, Russian people point of view, um, they are they, they didn't feel like they were involved in the decision making process. And so they don't want to necessarily be responsible for what is happening. And they were certainly not thinking that they were going to be mobilized and brought onto the field of battle uh, and expected to take a part. They were more than willing to sit by their televisions and cheer on their murderous army. But when they were uh, when they were ordered to now support their army, they went no, 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 and that actually is creating a lot of uh, interesting moments because we see a lot of Russian men, in particular, run away from Russia, but just. Because they ran away from Russia doesn't mean that they support Ukraine, doesn't mean that they're opposed to Putin's regime. They just went, no, 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 we don't want this. We are strong enough to run away, and that's what we're going to do. So um, to what extent uh, Russian people are supporting the war in Ukraine, uh, which they're still forbidden from calling a war, um, is, is questionable because it is impossible to do sociological studies in a fascist country during the time of war and expect the, the results to be re reliable. Um, we have a lot of this uh, during Soviet Union, people would uh, judge of what was going on in Soviet Union by looking at who was staying on Lenin's mausoleum during parades, who was closest to the Secretary General, who was further away, and and we're almost reduced to that level of understanding what is going on in Russia. In Ukraine, there's a, a vibrant democracy. There's a, a president who was elected, who who's done, um, on one hand, a masterful job um, of rallying uh, Ukrainians to the cause. Um, and in my opinion, has been linchpin for uh, Ukraine's resistance. It is incredibly important uh, to have the captain of the ship remain the ship. Um, this, it's not just a kind of a, a legend and, and good manners uh, to go down with the ship. This is also just good policy. And uh, what we saw with Zelensky is that he is sticking around. He's stuck around and he is leading the charge back. He's going to cities that have been just recently liberated. Uh, unlike Putin, who is out there, uh, you know, on doing publicity stunts. So it is uh, very interesting. But uh, we have a question from Ken from Madison. I love questions. In your perspective, what's going on in Ukraine concerning Nazis? It seems like there's lots of misinformation out there. All right. Um, absolutely. Let's uh, let's hit on that. So uh, there's been uh, some accusations thrown around as part of the general Russian whataboutism. Uh, you can look it up, and you know it's it's uh, uh, when you say something to you know old. Uh, story is that you would say, well, Russia does all these things terrible. And they would say, well, look in America, look at all the things you're doing wrong. And so now we're ending ourselves instead of talking about the issue, which is what is going on in, you know, their original point. Uh, so bringing up Nazis and the idea that Putin started the war with on 24th of February, the big open war, because the war has been, of course, happening, going on since 2014 with the annexation of Crimea. Uh, but the big open war was uh, started with his slogan to denazify and demilitarize Ukraine, which, of course, is really what Russia needs, is to be denazified, demilitarized, and probably deassembled. Um, but uh, projection is a powerful, powerful surgical uh, tool to understand what people are speaking about. If you look at uh, Ukrainian politics, you will see that uh, extremists have not done well in elections there. They are, uh, they are absolutely marginal in, in the society. Um, and uh, the president of Ukraine is Jewish. So to accuse um, Ukraine of uh, having Nazi past, yes, there were collaborants on all sides uh, during World 
War II. And uh, moreover, um, some of my relatives left Ukraine uh, to avoid anti-Semitism. And uh, that's where I say, you know, apparently things have changed. Because uh, when I lived in Soviet Union and, and uh, when my relatives were living in, in uh, Ukraine, when it was still part of Russian Empire, there was no way that a Jewish person would be in charge of Ukraine, whether it was part of Russia or whether it is a separate country. There's just it's not imaginable. So I think it is important to acknowledge that uh, things apparently change. And right now, when we hear those kinds of uh, statements about uh, Nazis in Ukraine, um, we just need to look at uh, who the sources are. By the way, if you ever see RT on your screen, if it hasn't been blocked by YouTube, uh, just remember remember that uh, providing information is not the goal of uh, Russian media outlets. It's never been. Their goal is to provide a point of view, propaganda. Um, we in the West have this, uh, you know, we are, how do I say, we have news information, news media corporations that know that by telling us all sorts of bad things, they're not going to sell a lot of advertisements. It's a legitimate capitalist problem. The and, and so on some level, it's refreshing to see a news outlet or outlets that will say about things that are wrong and, and point out things. And, and uh, But at the same time, we have to go, okay, so advertisements are not paying for this. Who is paying for this? Uh, where is the money coming from to pay for this kind of information? Well, it comes from people that really don't wish us very well. Um, and, and that's what is providing for them, like the incentive. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we've seen, obviously, Russian involvement in 2016 in our elections. And uh, now we have seen uh, Putin's uh, man known as his chef, who has since become the man in charge of running his private army, uh, Evgeny Prigozhin, who announces that uh, Russia was getting involved in American elections, is and will be. Um, so, I mean, of course, it obviously creates uh, good opportunities for prosecutors of international court in Hague uh, to build case against Mr. Prigozhin, since he's so obviously uh, stating that, uh, well, this is would be for the United States, but he's also taking responsibility for crimes that he's committing in Ukraine uh, because they are projecting strength. They're showing that they're strong. And uh, when we look at how different Russia and Ukraine are, what they're expressing sorrow about, I think it's very telling because um, uh, Ukrainians are, uh, they, they, uh, they miss every person every man, woman, child uh, that has been murdered in this murderous war. Um, Russians tend to um, miss the equipment. Uh, the equipment that they lost, because the equipment is hard to get, it has to be built. Human life generally has very, very little value. And that is very important for us to understand when we think about what is the effective ways of defending ourselves against that really corrupting influence. Um, and I will remind you that you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Yuri Rashkin and I'm hosting today's episode. Uh, we're talking to you today about the war in Ukraine. If you would like to join the conversation, Give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, and uh, uh, would love to hear from you. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> so we have the American perspective as well, don't we? And the American perspective is uh, what? That we are supporting uh, democratic countries. We're supporting countries solving, uh, and uh, we, we're not, uh, this is one of the things that Russians are curious about if uh, they've been told that they're not fighting with Ukraine. They're really fighting with NATO. They're really fighting with the U.S. because all this help that the U.S. is providing to Ukraine is equal to uh, U.S. being part of uh, the war, um, to which uh, I kind of uh, explain that if uh, U.S. was really involved, this would have been over long ago. Um, uh, so we're dealing with uh, Ukrainians, actually, who right now are very concerned about our weapons. They want more weapons. They want better weapons. They want more powerful weapons. And they're trying to figure out why. Why are we not sending them all the weapons that they're asking for if we say that we're supporting them? Are we trying to strain them along so they don't quite lose but don't quite win? What is the secret conspirological plan that we are really hiding right here that we help um, understand what's going on. And so um, part of what I do is I explain that it has to be funding 
funding has to be turned into production. Production has to result in weapons. Weapons have to be uh, not just shipped, but people who are using those weapons have to be trained. People who are servicing those weapons have to know how to service them. This is a big, long process, and we're engaged in this process, but it doesn't happen overnight. Um, and uh, that's one of the challenges and one of the inter things that are um, very interesting to um, people in Ukraine. At the same time, of course, um, looking at an American perspective as well, uh, we have uh, been quite open about our opening our doors to refugees. Uh, myself, I came as part of uh, uh, Soviet Jews who were who came um, mostly during 1970s, 1980s, uh, and uh, there was. Uh, there was a, a different policy then that stopped when Soviet Union fell apart. But currently, we're allowing uh, Ukrainians into the country with a sponsor. And uh, um, how do you think about this? Do you think this is a, a good idea? We should do more of this, less of this? We'd like to hear from you. In the meantime, we have Joan from uh, Madison, who's on the line. Joan, welcome to the program. Hi, Yuri. Um, thanks for this program. I've got a question for you. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard from a friend who's traveled in the area that there's 100,000 Russian men in Belgrade, and they are estimating that there's a million Russian men have left um, Russia in, and gone into the surrounding countries, and there's uh, a million of them, and I'm wondering if this is true. Uh, it's one of those I, things I'll, where... I'll, I'll yes, was okay. it... Uh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's been a really interesting thing that I've, I've heard from a lot of my American friends about what is going on with Russian men running away uh, and how many of them. I think that we don't truly understand the scope of this other than to say that there's far more men that have left Russia than is the number that uh, Putin supposedly wanted to mobilize in the first place. So people decided this Russian roulette Room shut. Uh, people decided uh, they, they didn't like their chances. They preferred their chances to get out. And then it just depends on which border is closest to them and how are those different countries responding to them. Uh, because some of the countries of the former Soviet Union, such as uh, Georgia, um, have been, uh, they, you know, they, they took in a lot of uh, Russians, uh, Russian men in particular, and, and and they now are living in nearly everywhere in a, kind of a refugee situation where people are renting rooms, people are renting in rooms. Um, it seems like a very temporary Band-Aid kind of a solution, and it's really important to see if this is going to be a long-term or a short-term. And then people who run away from Russia, they never quite know, um, you know, those that want to come back um, if this is going to be a long term or a short term because in Russia you can never predict um, but uh, there's certainly hundreds of thousands of Russian men who are in um, uh, Eastern Europe who are in uh, Kazakhstan who are in Georgia and in different countries they're treated differently and on some level I gotta say I find this to be kind of uh, ironic because um, one of the uh, important traits of Russians that is a kind of a negative trait is a, a sense of con uh, condescending to others. Like, we, we are Russians, we have this great culture, um, which is, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's, I don't know, everybody's got literature and music, but Russian culture somehow is greater than all others. Um, and so, um, and to look, uh, so there's this habit of looking down at others. I think it also is, bred by a uh, kind of lack of power that on that ethics uh, uh, <laughs> on that ladder of ethics um, being in Russia and Russian is not the strongest uh, you know place so if you can look down at somebody oh that that kind of strengthens who you are as a person I guess and uh, now we're seeing all of these people who are running away and now they're on the position of um, illegal immigrants. Now they're the ones who are illegal laborers in all of these countries. And uh, I don't wish anybody uh, ill will except for Vladimir Putin and his uh, uh, ilk and his junta, but uh, it, is a, it is a powerful uh, lesson of, you know, when we're placed in the shoes of other people. Um, so I hope that there will be some lessons that will be learned out of this, um, but uh, who knows? So that is a kind of a 
that is one way to answer uh, Joanne's question. And uh, I hope that uh, there's others who have questions as well. I think, I mean, we are spending a tremendous amount of money in Ukraine. Um, what do you think? Does it matter? You know, because from the point of view of Ukrainians, uh, who cares about money? We're being bombed right now. Um, it's it's not about money. We, we're, you know... Um, let's take care of the military problem first. Um, and that is uh, not necessarily how we may look at something like this uh, from a democratic point of view where we are taxpayers and our tax dollars are being spent um, for whatever the, <coughs> excuse me, whatever the government does, it is something that is financed by our tax dollars. How do we feel about this? That is not really a mindset that is uh, too familiar to Ukrainians and certainly not very familiar to Russians, um, where, the, where people live kind Kind of at the mercy of the government um so the, um and actually one of the problems there is that uh, one of the critical linchpins of uh, communist party but also what we see now with putin's rule is uh, really pushing people away from self-governance pushing people away from taking charge of their communities of their lives of anything that we can do that we organize ourselves is seen as a threat uh even something like uh, there was a uh to commemorate um victory in world war ii there was a parade uh of people uh spontaneous occurring essentially was created by a couple of journalists uh, where people would walk around and, and march with the pictures of their uh, relatives who passed. Um, this was a nice organic action. And then it outgrew because the uh, government uh, took it over. And now we have people who are walking around with pictures of Stalin and, and his criminal gang. So, um, but it's been taken over by government. So people are in, in kind of over and over this type of behavior reduces folks to understanding that if there is a problem, then somebody else should be fixing it because it's not up to me because I'm nobody to fix this and I don't want to get this started because it's not going to end well. Um, so it's it's a different mindset, but we have a caller, David. David, welcome to the program. Great to have you with us. Hi, Yuri. Thank you for your uh, program. My name is David Williams. I coordinate the Peregrine Forum in Madison, and I've been a lifelong opponent of U.S. imperialism since being involved in the Vietnam anti-war movement at UW back in the day. Um, here's my comment. Um, uh, there are many people on the uh, American left and my sisters and brothers in the Madison left and uh, peace movement who you know, are also op opponents of U.S. imperialism. U.S. imperialism has committed you know, t enormous crimes, uh, wars of foreign occupation, uh, genocides, etc. Uh, that said, um, the uh, opposition to NATO or opposition to U.S. imperialism shouldn't uh, it, uh, it compel us to want to throw the Ukrainians under Putin's bus uh, because Putin's mafia state is also an imperialist power and has committed tremendous crimes in places like Syria and Chechnya. So um, I feel that uh, Ukraine is caught between these two competing imperialist blocs and is fighting for its survival. And as a democratic socialist, I think the only possibility for of uh, the people of Ukraine and the working class uh, who are taking the brunt of this uh, terrible war to eventually to sur survive uh, as a sovereign people and to then carry out a program of social reform uh, and ultimately to turn Ukraine uh, into a socialist democracy. That's not going to happen if we uh, throw the Ukrainians under the Putin's bus. So I uh, want to thank you for uh, your program, and I hope that a lot of people in the Madison left and the peace movement uh, take uh, these uh, uh, ideas to heart. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. David, thank you so much for your call. And <clears throat> you're not seeing me, but I'm I'm sitting here nodding my head to a lot of what you're saying because it is it is so important to say that because we're dealing with, uh, on one hand, an imperialist state, which is Russia, and we're dealing with uh, United States, which has a history of being involved in wars that are, to put it lightly, have been questionable. And um, I think that left a, a terrible taste in people's mouth, mine included. I mean, I've seen, you know, I haven't seen Vietnam, but I've seen Iraq and, and uh, it, it was 
you know, the idea that we can go somewhere and we can create democracy uh, under uh, while pointing a gun at somebody's head. Uh, those are just crazy ideas. Uh, democracy is something that is built by people on the inside by themselves uh, through self-governance. Um, but at the same time, United States doesn't just, uh, you know, our imperial influence doesn't just go through our weapons. It also goes through our um, e economics, right? Uh, economic imperialism. And that is where it's very important that the aid that we are right now providing Ukraine is uh, done uh, not as a credit because it's great that we pass land lease and we're able to provide uh, like land and lease weapons to Ukraine uh, if necessary. But it is so much better than we're doing this right now because when the war is over, uh, Ukraine should have a chance uh, rather than being completely buried in debt um, uh, to be able to have a chance uh, to um, grow its own state and economy uh, without being shackled uh, economically by the West. I th there's a difference between being uh, uh, an ally, being a trade partner, being all of those things and being completely controlled um, either militarily or economically. And I think it, it's, a, it's really important that we remember and make sense of lessons of the past and understand that Ukraine is not Iraq, Ukraine is not Afghanistan, uh, Ukraine is a country that has created its own, that has a democratically elected leader and this is a country that is defending itself and I think that um, that uh, while uh, you know that we just need to keep those differences in mind uh, but I very much agree with a lot of the things you said David thank you so much. Um, let's see Ah, we had a listener uh, from South America and ask, why did Ukraine vote with the U.S. against Cuba? Um, well, uh, wow, that is going outside of my scope of ex expertise. I will have to uh, do some more research on that and find out. Um, but uh, I think that uh, Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. By the way, it's not the Ukraine. This is a... Uh, language lessons. Uh, we, we tend to sometimes not think about it and say Ukraine, the Ukraine, those little things matter for um, Ukrainians a lot. There's actually in, in Russian, there's a difference between if you say on Ukraine or in Ukraine and in Ukraine means that you acknowledge that it's a separate country. And if you say on Ukraine, then that means that you are thinking that or Ukraine is part of something. Uh, so language has been changing in how people think about things. Uh, so it's, it's been a, just a tremendous leap feel that we have all made in uh, since, uh, since the 24th of February in particular. I'll remind you that you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Yuri Rashkin. I'm hosting today's episode. Alan will be back next week. Uh, today we're talking with you about the war in Ukraine. Uh, if you would like to join the conversation, please give us a call at 608 256-2001, extension 9. Um, to continue, a couple of other things uh, that uh, I wanted to relate to you. There's how can we help Ukraine? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, and I always want to make sure to include solutions uh, because there are certainly problems, there are certainly causes, but there's always solutions. And um, there's different ways we can mail things. Um, I've uh, mailed some things that people have gathered and, uh, and it went to a specific uh, place of some relative that I have there who is running a refugee center in Ukraine. Uh, but um, there's, uh, we can send humanitarian supplies. Uh, we can join a protest in our city. We can host Ukrainians and we can hire Ukrainians. Um, there's actually organizations in Madison that deal with uh, refugee resettlement. Uh, so we can volunteer or help professionally. Perhaps this is something that would be interesting uh, to you, uh, dear WORT listener, because we know that WORT uh, functions uh, in huge part because of volunteers. So uh, perhaps this is another cause that you may want to uh, consider contributing your time and energy at the same time as well. And of course, donate in some ways, uh, you know, all causes have a lot of uh, similarities, but uh, nonetheless, real ways we can um, Ukraine. 
Uh, we have Morris from Madison who asks, how much does Yuri know about the relationship between Trump and Putin? Is Trump complicit? Does Russia have compromise on him? Um, well, I, uh, what can I say about that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful topic? Um, it's been... Um, this is... Uh, it's been shown over and over, and now we're likely to have uh, kind of official proof of this through Donald Trump's uh, tax returns that Congress has finally been able to get their hands on, um, is that a lot of his money, his wealth for his overpriced real estate came from Russia. When he said, I don't know any Russians, that was the farthest thing from the truth because he knows a lot of Russians. He sold a lot of real estate to a lot of Russians and they overpaid tremendous tens of millions of dollars for uh, some of his real estate. And uh, to me, it doesn't require, you know, receipt from uh, Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump saying money received, services provided, um, you know, that we're dealing on slightly different level here. But it is important to acknowledge, first of all, that Donald Trump was willing to, basically he was doing everything that Vladimir Putin wanted him to do. Whether there's been some statements made that, you know, when Trump was in power, there, there was no war. Well, when Trump was in power, he was busy destroying NATO and uh, making our allies feel like the United States was not going to be there for them. He was creating the foundation for what was going to happen in the in the second, his, you know, what was he was thinking going to be his second term. Um, but I always send people to the 2018 meeting in Helsinki in Finland because that is just so, um, it was so visually we could, we could tell the relationship, the power, the ethic of strength, again, between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. We could tell who was the banker and we could tell who was the borrower. Um, now, at this point, the thing that worries me besides most besides uh, Donald Trump getting elected is the mis misinformation that is being spread in Ukraine where uh, people are being uh, told that the Biden administration is trying to sell Ukraine out. That really, it is Donald Trump that is the real friend of Ukraine, and uh, he's the real enemy of Putin. And when people would say, but, you know, Donald Trump just had a, a dinner with a Nazi and a fascist, is that is that anything important to pay attention to? They would say, well, but his wife is married to a Jewish person. How can you say that? You know, so some of those things and some of those tropes we have seen over and over. Um, but uh, the relationship uh, between uh, Putin and Trump at this point is, um, you know, for better or for worse, so very well documented. I will also uh, recommend a book uh, called American Compromise uh, that is uh, co-written by Yuri Schwetz. Uh, at least he's used as one of the main sources for the part about the relationship between uh, Putin and Trump. Uh, and uh, there's just a, a list of connections, but I think if you look at the actions, this is one of the things we hear over and over. Don't listen to the words, look at the actions. And Donald Trump's actions have been very, very friendly to Putin. And in fact, it is one of the qualities, uh, I understand, of like a, the code working uh, for those kinds of um, outfits like FSB is not to say anything bad about uh, Putin. And so when we have these people who are just turning themselves into pretzels to avoid saying anything bad about Vladimir Putin, uh, it's just remarkable. It's just remarkable because to me, that is such a giveaway. That is such a giveaway. Um, I'll remind everyone that you're listening to WORT, WORT public affair. Uh, my name is Yuri Rashkin, and I am uh, super excited to be hosting today's episode. I'm very grateful to the calls that we have had so far and questions that we've had so far. Great. Just, I, I love WART listeners. And we have another one on the line. I hope I'm not going to regret what I just said. Sarah, welcome to the program. I'm calling from New York State. Um, I think that Biden had had to make a very tough decision about trading Brittany Griner for an arms dealer. Uh, I think he was pressured from all sides because uh, there was a man who had been a political prisoner in Russia for at least, I have, I'm pretty sure, four years, and he could have been traded. So uh, I'm wondering, my question is, what would you do if, you, meaning anyone else, 
do in this situation? Would you pardon? Would you get Brittany out? Or would you get this man who's been in for four years? Thank you very much. Sarah, that is a really great question. Thank you so much for the call. And uh, and I think that we see a kind of a balance of here between uh, national security and to extend to which uh, releasing somebody like Victor Boot uh, harms our social, uh, our national security. And uh, I, I would think that if he was allowed to leave, that means that um, the, the risk has been uh, managed. Uh, and he has spent several years uh, in prison. So uh, this was not an easy decision, but it is a, it is a strong decision, really, that uh, was made. Um, at the same time, human life sanctity of human life not like the 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 choice really issue but the sanctity of people who are born and are living right now um is a huge priority and and i think that's really encouraging and uh, when president biden in his announcement says at the same time that please american citizens look at the state department warnings about countries you may want to travel to because that may not be a good idea uh, to travel to, let's say, Russia, because uh, Brittany Grant um, was, uh, she had uh, vaping capsules and she got nine years in Russian jail, which is not just uh, this is how they deal with drugs, this is how they deal with Brittany Griner. Uh, one of Russian classic Russian expressions is that uh, uh, law is there, but it's got you got to find the person. Like the, you know, we all we have laws for everything, but you got to find the person that you apply the law to. So in this case, uh, Brittany Griner turned out to be um, first, uh, you know, an example of uh, how cruel they can be, and then um, uh, she was uh, finally released. And I think that uh, while pressured. Um, what I, I don't know that uh, there's too much choice because uh, Biden administration said already that they were willing to uh, talk to Russia only about um, how to get those people out of Russian jails. Um, so I would say if you don't want to uh, be exchanged for the next uh, Victor Boot, uh, then uh, consider uh, heeding warning of State Department uh, on, on travel as, as well. Because, you know, flying through Russia even right now, I mean, Mikhail Barishnikov, famous uh, ballet dancer that many of you have heard, I, I suspect, uh, said that he always watched where his flights were headed because he would never fly over Russia. So, um, and, and when we saw that a few months ago, or maybe a year ago now, uh, Belarus dictator Lukashenko even insisted he landed a plane that was flying over Belarus, and he landed, insisted the plane land, and he, because he was trying to get to a reporter, uh, and he arrested the reporter, and the reporter is still in Belarus, um, it's, it puts a kind of a whole different level of uh, responsibility on us to think about our travel plans. It's, it's crazy, but that's the world we live in right now. All right. Thank you, Sarah. And Tom is on the line. Tom, welcome to the program. Yes, hi. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, elaborate on the uh, Azov uh, Regiment. Sure. Right-wing neo-Nazi uh, group. Um, that's that's great. See, this is the where the disinformation and misinformation continues to to thrive. Um, it's uh, it's interesting because um, Azov uh, had, uh, really they've been heroes of Mariupol. Uh, they've been uh, heroes to Ukraine, and nobody uh, there talks about Azov as being um, a Nazi outfit. I think they had some leadership or years ago. Some people who had those kinds of attitudes there not involved with it for years and uh, Azov is you know when you look at people of you know how do you fight disinformation and misinformation uh, with information look at the specific people there's stories of Azov fighters um, there's a musician who, uh, you know uh, there's just not that musicians couldn't be bad people um, so there's certainly um, a lot that can be said um, that Azov is not uh, Nazis, but I will cut to the chase and say that if somebody is telling you that uh, Azov uh, fighters uh, are Nazis, then uh, well, that you're being misinformed. You're being disinformed, and uh, and I would uh, you know pay attention to the information diet and where you're getting the information. Uh, uh, because there's nothing more atrocious and terrible Nazis and fascists, and that's why I don't go to Russia anymore. Um, let's say we have, okay, um, 
Uh, we have another caller, uh, Nino. Oh, Nino, do I know you? Welcome to the program. <laughs> Yuri, how are you? <laughs> doing great. You're doing a, a wonderful job. And, you know, in all my travels, I actually had been behind the Iron Curtain in 83, went in, drop-off was in charge, and then went back in 88, 89, 90, Spent time in the Baltics when they were in revolt, and then also Ukraine, and in Poland, and in East Germany. And your depiction of Trump and uh, Putin is right on. And even though the old Soviet fall fell in uh, 91, the fact of the matter is KGB is still in charge. My question to you is what kind of pressure can we put on the White House and Congress and NATO to do a Berlin airlift for Ukraine for humanitarian reasons only? Because Putin is doing exactly what uh, Khrushchev and others try to do when they wanted to isolate and starve out um, Western Berlin. And if we do that, um, I think that puts pressure on uh, Putin, even though there may be a risk, but as long as it's humanitarian aid only, it's another move in this chess game. Nina, that's a great point. And uh, I think we just need to remember the whole world looks up to us because we're Americans and we live in America and all the things we might know the, how about, about how imperfect our country is, people still look up to us to be the decision and the difference makers in this world. And when we abstrogate from our responsibility by not voting, by not speaking out, by not contacting our elected officials, we are giving up our power that we do have. And so I think it's really important. I have a friend who says that it's more important to send a nightly email to Biden than to say a prayer. Um, we, we live in a democracy, again, as imperfect as it may be, uh, and we need to constantly contact our elected officials and remind them that this is an important issue. I know, you know, I've, I've spoken to some officials who were uh, running for office in this past election and to see where on their radar Ukraine was. And, and it's in not, a, it's, you know, some people feel strongly about it, but it's not necessarily how we base our vote. And it is kind of confusing to Ukrainians because they go like, what role is Ukraine playing in American politics? I'm saying hopefully none, because we don't want Ukraine to be politicized. We don't want Ukraine to be the Republican or Democratic war. It is, it is something that uh, United States is helping uh, a democracy thrive, survive, and regain its uh, sovereign, uh, sovereignty and territorial integrity. Um, so I think we just need to provide pressure on our politicians in the way that is most suitable to us for the help that is more suitable to us. Because you're right, we, we have, there's humanitarian help, but there's also military aid. And I think that it's perfectly okay. You know, like there's different uh, account numbers that Ukraine has uh, for those that want to donate uh, for humanitarian aid versus those that want to help towards uh, weapons. I think that, uh, you know, it's a free society and, and we can do different things. We can make those choices, but providing pressure and applying pressure on our elected officials and speaking out about this, um, even having those Ukrainian flags, you know, it's just all of it adds together and it keeps the issue up front. And I think that's where news media has been so crucial and all the YouTube channels that are out there because they show a picture, you know, with all due respect to the wonderful medium of radio that we're utilizing right now, a picture is worth a thousand words and so seeing those images seeing how brutal um russia is um and i know you know from reading that uh, we are not trying to start world war three we're trying to avoid a nuclear conflict um with uh, russia those are really important things we don't want to have a world war three um and that's why um that's a lot of difficult decisions on a biden administration of how to provide help for ukraine and uh, not trigger uh that kind of uh, escalation perhaps a human a greater humanitarian aid is absolutely part of it um thank you for your call nina and we have uh, uh one more call in just a few minutes so steve go ahead welcome to the program yeah, Mr. Rashkin, just a couple of quick comments. I assert that it is contrary, contrary to American interests to provoke the only great power, namely Russia, that has the ability to decimate us, but it is in the interests of Lockheed Martin and Raytheon to extend its markets to Eastern Europe, uh, resulting in the 
destabilization of yet another uh, world region. And I'd also like to point out the irony of talking about spreading democracy abroad when we're witnessing its terminal erosion here in the U.S. Thank you. Wow, those are really great points. Okay, I'm going to address them very quickly because we have just a couple of minutes left. First of all, I completely agree with you. I am the last person to want to see a huge revival of the military-industrial complex. It was kind of not doing, you know, too much, and that's great. But the reality is, is that it's there for a reason, and uh, we need to protect ourselves against the greatest threat to us right now. Long term, it's China, but right now, it's Russia. And so I think that uh, Lockheed Martin and the rest of them, uh, we need to not be afraid of them just because they do what they do. They provide very valuable right now. So time and place matters, and right now we need them. And as far as elections, um, yes. And in fact, Vladimir Putin's uh, hope is that Republicans are going to start putting, uh, as they say, sticks and wheels and brakes on Biden agenda and will limit ability to vote. Uh, we know, you know, 57 Republican congressmen, uh, congresswomen that voted against the latest package uh, for Ukraine. Uh, th those are real people. And, and we know that in Kremlin, they know and they, uh, they're they expecting, uh, you know, the same way that Trump is controlling Republican Party. Uh, that even though most Republicans support Ukraine, we see more and more Republican politicians that opposed help to Ukraine. Even there's a congresswoman in Indiana, uh, from Indiana, um, Victoria Sparks, who was born in Ukraine, and she was originally all in favor, and she was even critical of uh, Biden for not providing enough support. But then she changed her tune because she's a Republican politician. It is really sad to watch, and we have to understand that there's a connection, and it's not like implicit, it's pretty explicit. So um, I guess that's that's my answer to how we're all interconnected. You know, the problem with the Russian and nuclear weapons is that even if they uh, use nuclear weapons in a terrible way and just end up uh, bombing themselves, we still could be, you know, we still could be dealing with the effects of this because we're on the same planet. Uh, no matter how far, how far Russia may seem from us at any particular point, we're still on the same planet and those things affect all of us. So... I think that would be a good place to wrap up. I really want to thank uh, everyone at WORT who given me this wonderful, unique opportunity to share with you and uh, thank Jade and Chuck and Shali uh, for being awesome producers and engineer. Um, and uh, I want to thank all the listeners and callers. It really helps me to understand better um, the, the issues that are important uh, to you uh, as I uh, go and speak on Ukrainian TV about what Americans think. You know, I, it's it's really, really helpful. Um, so I want to thank everyone that's been involved in this and uh, wish you all a wonderful, wonderful Thursday and a great, happy holiday season. Thank you so much for being and. Uh, my name is Yuri Rashkin. Take care is Slava Ukraine. We come and listen and support it. Live and direct, we come and never be reported. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and support it. Live and direct, we come and never be reported. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and support it. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it.